0: The antidote to weariness is rest. We instinctively know that we need rest. So when we read and hear this very famous passage, this beautiful passage, we long for it. And yet, if we are honest, many of us find genuine, lasting rest elusive. Something that's difficult to grasp. Even if we get it for a moment, it seems to immediately leave our grasp from our hands. Some of us, you may have had this experience where you have a vacation planned, it's on your calendar. I have a vacation planned next February, I think that's our first vacation outside of California in the last two and a half years. So it's on our calendar and I can almost endure everything just to make it. But those of you who ever had like a big hyped up vacation experience, right, maybe you, you get back home and you feel immediately you need a vacation from your vacation because it was not that restful. That's the kind of vacations my wife plans. It's too busy. It's never that restful. Or maybe it was so restful that you come back, you're like, I need that to exist much longer, and we all experience that genuine rest is hard to come by. You begin to become aware of this need for rest and the, the elusiveness of it around high school. You maybe feel it a little earlier, but definitely in high school you begin to feel it. You have so many responsibilities laid upon you as a high school student. Some of you have watched that recent documentary, right, Try Harder. You, you feel that, whether you go to that school or not. You, you feel the, the, the crushing weight of tests and clubs and finals and friendships to keep up with. And you look longingly back to when you were five years old and your parents forced you to take a nap and how you resisted and all you want to do now is nap on Saturday, right? All you want to do is sleep in because you're so tired, you're so busy. Can, can I just make it to winter break? And even winter break isn't long enough to give you rest, and you feel you're tired, you genuinely think, I don't got any more out of me, and then you hit college, and you have so many more exams, more finals, more activities, and more on-campus stuff, and more responsibilities, and you look longingly back at high school when maybe you only had a few tests, only one research paper, it was only 10 pages, and now it's like 50 pages long, and you like, look back at high school, and you feel like, oh, I was I was so foolish. I am so much more tired now. I'm so busy. I need rest. Until you graduate from college. And you get your first job and maybe you're newly married and you're working 50, 60 some of you if you go into investment banking you're going to work 80 hours a week and you're trying to get your development of your career off the ground to just barely pay your rent, not even a mortgage because it costs over 2 million dollars to buy a house and you're thinking, "Man, I'm exhausted. I need a break. I'm in need of rest." And you look longingly back on college. You had so much time to hang out with friends. You have so much more energy. Your metabolism was so much better, so you could eat pizza at 2 a.m. You think, oh, I'm so tired. I need rest. Until, and some of you know exactly where this is going, until you have a kid. Until you have a kid. And then you're pushed to the boundaries of no sleep. You're up all night. You're changing, feeding, cleaning up puke, cleaning up all the other kinds of bodily things coming out of this crazy little person in your life and you're just trying to keep them safe and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so exhausted, I need rest. You look longingly back to when you were dinks, double income, no kids and you think, wow, date night was whenever we wanted to and now all I want to do is sleep, like back when I was five years old. And you could just keep going, right? It just keeps going. But you know the rest of the story. Rest is desired, but it's elusive. We spend our whole lives longing for rest and barely grasping it. But Jesus, in this passage, has the audacity to say, Come to me. I will give you rest. And when you hear that, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you love Jesus or you don't know who he is or you don't really like him, Wherever you are on this, you both want to scoff at this statement, and you both want it, because who could say this? And we're going to look at this profound, beautiful section of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel and pray that the Holy Spirit will grant to us an understanding of where to get rest. And I pray that as you begin to let this passage seep into who you are, it will begin to transform you to someone who genuinely can find and experience rest in Jesus. Let's look look first at weariness, how Jesus describes it. Look back at verse 28. Come to me and look at this part specifically. All who labor and are heavy laden. That's his description of weariness. In the context of this passage, he is dealing with uh, the Pharisees, religious leaders of this time, and they're talking about what it means to relate to God. And he's, he's actually using this as a contrast because the Pharisees are laying heavy religious burdens on them. They're putting heavy weights on people who are trying to draw near to God in all the things they're to do. They had over 600, maybe 700 lists of additional rules that they were supposed to follow. But something that we see here when Jesus talks about all who labor and are heavy laden is that, All weariness could be described as spiritual, whether we recognize it or not, because it gets to the deepest part of who we are. We approach it differently. This spiritual weariness, it it kind of expresses itself in religious ways and irreligious ways, but weariness affects all people because weariness, exhaustion, heavy-laden feelings are equal opportunity to all people but we could describe them in religious ways as well as irreligious ways. But they're all spiritual because they all get to who we are. It's interesting that in Jesus' time, the Pharisees could take something that was supposed to draw near to Yahweh, experience Him, grace and forgiveness, be near to Him. They could make that into a system, a religion that is so heavy. And we can't just point fingers and say, well, the Pharisees did it, and that's nothing like we have today because we can do the exact same thing in modern day 21st century evangelical Christianity in San Francisco, in our church, because it exists in our church in various often subtle ways. It's possible that we have this religious, spiritual weariness through all of the religious activities, duties, and practices that we do them in such a way that are not freeing, not restful. And I'm not criticizing religious duties, practices, services, but you can do them in such a way that are actually heavy burdened. You, we could talk about grace in this public platform from preaching or in our teaching or discipleship in our communities and youth group, but then promote a kind of discipleship where it's all about what you do and what you don't do. And if you do these things, then God will love you. If you act a certain way, you, you have a certain kind of behavior, then God will actually listen to your prayers. And that's That's not what Jesus is offering here. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that this kind of religious burden that the Pharisees are having in their time that we have in different ways today, it's crushing because it's a burden that you will never fully live up to because you will never know if your understanding of who you are with God is based upon religious activity and services and practices. You will never know if you're good enough. You will never know if you're religious enough. You will never know if you're moral enough because that is something we will never know and then it becomes devastatingly heavy. How do you know if you live up to it? And that's what what ends up happening when we do that is we twist the gospel. You, You make the good news because good news is something declared to us that has already been accomplished. The gospel is God has sent Jesus to come to live a righteous life that we did not live, that he died the death that we deserve for rejecting and rebelling against God, that he conquered over sin and death through his death, burial, and resurrection, that that's declared. This is done for us. We we end up twisting in our religious attempts to define ourselves that we make this good news into good advice. This is how you appease God. And we don't do it like the Pharisees. We don't want to measure all the weights of your spices and make sure you, you gave the tenth of the top of your salt and your pepper and your saffron. We don't, we don't do it like that. We do it in different ways. We, we guilt people, sometimes very obviously, but mostly very subtly. We say things like, why weren't you at church? And then maybe ask a question that's actually genuine. You care about them. They've been gone for a while. You could also ask that question to lay a heavy burden. And sometimes we get into accountability groups and sometimes accountability groups are just guilt groups, right? They just become places where we just heap heavy burdens. You can do them in ways that are freeing and helpful and actually help us follow Jesus, but you can also carve out shame in those spaces where you share something and there's just now shame. You, you create a hierarchy of who's in and who's out, and you end up just looking at all the people out. There's something to ask yourself. If you, if you find yourself looking at the news or you find yourself looking at your social media, uh, and all you feel is rage or anger, or you, all you can do is point fingers at all the problems with every single other person outside of us, that may be a sign that you're driven by this kind of religious burden. And so you feel better when you point fingers at other people because it redirects attention away from you. That's a religious way we feel burdens. We also have this experience irreligiously. Because again, weariness is an equal opportunity burdener. It affects every single one of us. So even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you were brought by a friend here, which is I'm so thankful you were even willing to listen to any of this. I'm thankful that you're here. But if you're that person, you feel this, don't you? And that's why Jesus invites all, because every single person, religious or professing non-religious person, is burdened. Even without religion, there's a kind of law that you're living by, telling you what to live up to, telling you what you're supposed to do, telling you if you haven't made it yet, expectations, and it comes from either inside of yourself and a combination probably of inside of yourself and being shaped by your friends, your peers, your culture at large. And so maybe your parents, whether you realize it or not, are now the underlying people that you're trying to please. And so whether they've you're looking for them to say something to you, to affirm you that you've never heard from them and you haven't heard it from them yet. So you do more and more and you haven't gotten it yet. Or maybe they failed you and you're trying to do something. It's, your parents kind of loom in driving your life. Maybe it's your peers. And often it may not be stated, but our peers drive our hearts so significantly. I think about San Francisco for a second. San Francisco was a mining town originally. And in many ways, that culture is still present in the culture of this area. In a mining town, everyone goes there to get their wealth, and everyone wants to leave. Because once they've gotten the wealth, they're going to go somewhere else that's easier. So San Francisco, from its inception, has been a town that's very transient. People come here to get their wealth and leave. We don't mine gold anymore, but you mine opportunity. You mine tech you mine silicon you you mine wealth here and then everyone in california you hear the stories right people move to texas and idaho they're, they're leaving and so that culture still exists here and the, so this is what happens right especially if you're a young adult now you're working you're in your mid-30s you're a young parent you you begin to to see what and you hang out with your friends with their driving maybe you hang out with your friend and they just moved into their first place and you, in your sin, maybe, look up their house on Zillow and you're like, oh my gosh. And you begin to feel this anxiety in your heart. And you see through the feed, your friends' pictures and posts, and you feel burdened because your comparison to your peers is now what is the law of expectation in your heart. And this happens to parents. I, I, me and my wife, we're beginning to feel this and we're trying to navigate this in our own life, just give you a window into, how, into what we struggle with, which is... Kind of silly, but it really is kind of hard. So those of you who've had kids or have little kids, you you kind of experience this, but uh, it's really hard to get your kids into activities in the Bay Area, especially San Francisco. And so my kids, uh, I want them to know how to swim. Because when I was a youth pastor, some of you may have been my youth, I was like, all of you guys, I was like wondering, some of you guys don't even know how to swim. You graduate high school. I'm like, don't you have to pass a swim test? And I realized a lot of you guys were getting that doctor note, I'm allergic to chlorine. You guys just cheated your way out of swimming. I want my kid to know how to swim. But my, my, we started late. My daughter's only seven already because my younger one, we don't want to drive them around to too many different things separately, so we want them at the same time. My younger one was deathly afraid of water for a very long time. And so we started late. But finding swim classes... It's like trying to win the lottery. It's, it's, it's insane. Like, they're like, literally today, I think my wife's looking for another one. It's like eight spots for like thousands of kids trying to get this spot. But we missed one a couple weeks ago, right? It was actually a, the swim class we just finished. We really wanted it because our kids love that place. And there was a drop for the class assignments on Friday night at 7. Like, who does a drop at Friday night at 7? I guess they're thinking parents are not out because they're exhausted, right? So they're just at home. But... We were happened to be out that night. I set an alarm on my phone. I was, we were hanging out with a friend who was moving out of San Francisco, actually, because you know, it's a transient city. We were hanging out with them. I set an alarm. I missed the alarm because I was hanging out with people. And I didn't notice. I missed it until 7.45. It was at 7. And I told my wife, and you could see the look on her face just change. And all my friends were like, you're going to get it later. Let's just have fun now because it's going to be bad. No, my wife actually just tried to frantically was texting friends. Like, Actually, one of her friends was right on it, and it was gone in 10 seconds. I was like, what? Who is fighting for this many swim classes? And then you feel, because we see our friends who are posting their daughter who can swim like 20 laps already at five years old, and my daughter can barely doggy paddle. And we're like, (laughs) what is going on in my heart? But what do we do about this restlessness? Because we experience it, whether in a religious way, in a normal everyday life, or a non-religious way, we we feel this. And to answer for this heavy ladenness that Jesus says, he gives this answer that's very profound, audacious, kind of crazy. Look again at verse 28. Come to me, all. Let's look at that word all first. All. And he says, all who are labor and heavy laden. This is amazing. You don't have to come to Jesus having worked off your burden. You don't have to make yourself morally, spiritually, physically, emotionally presentable before you come to Jesus. The way that Jesus invites you is come as you are. Come to me, all of you who are broken. Your brokenness, your burden, your your exhaustion is what qualifies you to come to him. There's no payment, as we'll see in a moment. This is a gift. It's not a transaction that Jesus is inviting us to. Come to me, all. And I pray that you would hear that. In your brokenness, in your weariness, you do not make yourself right before you come to God. You are wherever you are right now. He extends to you, come to me, all. You, wherever you are. But look at the invitation, which is very short, And kind of crazy and audacious. Look, come to me. He doesn't say, notice, come to me and I'll give you a new way to live. Come to me so I'll give you a new self-help way. I'll give you this new diet. I'll give you this new religious path. He just says, come to me. Period. Stop. To the original readers I'm imagining, they probably would have felt the same way if we look at this honestly. This guy is this guy is kind of crazy. Who says, come to me? Who does this person think he is? Because think about how, if we were to say that to someone. I mean, I could maybe say, come to me and I can give you rest, to a very small, select few of people. So Jesus says, all, which is kind of crazy. I could barely do it for my wife, my kids, a select few friends. And even then, I'm very limited. But Jesus says, come to me, Period. You know, every single bit of advertising out there in the world is actually trying to express this sentiment, come to me, like come to me for this, come to me for that, come to me for rest, come to me for acceptance, come to me for meaning, come to me for joy. That's that's what all advertising actually is trying to get at, is to our deepest wants and needs. And it's a, it's, a, it's a same phrase being expressed, not maybe in the exact same words, but it's saying, come to me. I, I tested this. So I, as I was writing the sermon on Friday, I went to my social media feed and I went to see with the first sponsored ad, which I hate all those sponsors. Ads, in fact, infect every single thing now, right? They even embed your Gmail now. You see little ads there. Like, I was like, ooh, it's an exciting email. No, it's an ad in your email. So there's ads everywhere. But my first ad in my social media feed, which is probably listening to me talk all the time, is it was for this company called Home Elite Card Grading. And I was like, why is this in my feed? Because I don't collect cards. But I realized, because my daughter uses my, uh, my devices sometimes to search stuff, she's super into Pokemon. And so it's using all of that and it's trying to draw her in come to me to get your stuff graded. Come to me, because it's not worth my Just Come to me to make sure your investment is valuable. All these ads are an expression of what Jesus offers. Come to me. But they're saying, Come to me for this new product, for this new way, for this new religion, for this new diet. Jesus says, Come to me. Period. Actually, this is one of those places, as a side, that makes me actually believe Jesus in the Bible even more. Because who could say this? In the words of C.S. Lewis, I mean, if Jesus says this honestly, either he's lying or he's a lunatic. Or he actually is Lord. He is exactly who he says he is. Because who else could ever say this? Look at all the religious leaders. Look at all the the leaders of the world. Even as as good as they are, as crazy as they are, no one ever just says, come to me, period. I'm more than enough. But that's exactly what Jesus says. Because what we need is not just stuff. Not just a new way of life. We need a new person. We need a new relationship to Jesus. And what he says, he goes on in verses 29 to 30. He expresses what it means to come to him. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He invites us to come to him, and that's an invitation to take on his yoke. It's an analogy here, which is helpful, but also don't push it beyond what it's an analogy is supposed to do. This, he's saying rest comes from him, and by coming to him, we have to learn how to take on his yoke, learn from him. That's where we find rest, because his burden is light. Now there's two ways to look at this yoke analogy, and they're both helpful. Yokes, in the most literal sense, where this heavy beam with kind of rings around it, or some kind of mechanism where you could kind of lock in two beasts of burden. It's an agricultural or a work image, usually farming, and so they would kind of lock them in to to plow fields or to move heavy things, do work. And we don't see that very often. The only time you see that today is if you're in an antique store or some kind of restaurant that has like a, trying to be an old country theme. You maybe saw it if you've ever gone to a Cracker Barrel if you ever see a Cracker Barrel, which you don't see very many in California, very few, but maybe up and down to five, but if you ever see one, go to it. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, so they're all over the place. It's, it's worth a trip to go at least once. It's, it's, it's worth it, so just go. You'll, you'll thank me later, maybe, hopefully. Come and talk to me afterwards. I, I, love, I have memories of, good memories of Cracker Barrel. But this yoke, right, it, it, it's, it's interesting. When you look at the analogy, when you get in the yoke, when an is in the yoke, you're not just yoked, To the beam. That itself is heavy. You're also yoked to another animal. So you're yoked to someone else. And what Jesus is saying through this analogy, he's inviting us to realize when he says, Take on my yoke, he's saying you're already yoked to something. That's why you feel weary. Something is pulling you in a direction. And if it's like a beast of burden, it's going to be stronger than you, it's going to drive you. And if you're weary, You're exhausted is because something is directing you in your life. You're not just yoked to a beam, you're yoked to something else that is moving you along in life. For example, if you're yoked to your career, you will always feel weary because you will never stop climbing some particular ladder, comparing yourself to a particular colleague, never cease to make your boss happy. And even if you happen to make it, then there's still going to be this weariness. Why do you think all these CEOs are trying to get into space? Because when you get there, what else is there? And there's a restlessness. Well, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do something that no one else, because there's that thing that's driving. it. It never ends. If you're yoked to your marriage, and in a sense, the analogy of being yoked to your spouse is true, so I'm not trying to criticize that, but what I mean is, if you make your spouse, your husband or your wife, right now or your future one, your ultimate, your main thing in your life, if that's your yoke, you are going to crush them with your expectations because your spouse is never going to live up to all of your expectations. There's many pastors who teach on marriage and one of the phrases that's repeated in various ways, I think is helpful, you always marry the wrong person. It's true. All of us who've been married, you know that after, actually maybe even during your honeymoon, you married exactly the wrong person. Right? If you, if you make all of your life your spouse, you will either be crushed because you can't live up to your own expectations for your marriage, or you're going to crush them because they don't meet yours. If you're yoked to your children, and some of you who are young, you've experienced this because your parents are laying that burden on you. They're trying to live vicariously through you. And so maybe they're immigrants and they moved here, and they're like, well, I moved here to give you a better life. I gave up what I had. You better live up to your potential. And your parents, you are crushing them. And so what ends up happening is they will either run away from you, or I would think even worse. They actually submit to your crushing. And then what you end up creating is a child who is never independent. They just only live for you. And they're unable to live independently. They're stuck in immaturity, completely dependent by your living out of their vicarious, your vicarious weight on them. See, we're all yoked. That's why Jesus brings us this analogy. We're, that's why we're weary. There's something that we're locked into that's much stronger than us that always directs us in our life. Career, marriage, children, friends, parental expectations, something. We're all yoked. And that's why we're weary. And so in that yoke, we either will destroy the thing that we're yoked to because it's crushing us, or we will be destroyed by it, or something, a combination of those two. And in place of that yoke, Jesus is saying, take on mine. His yoke is different. And here's another way to understand this analogy. It was a very common analogy to describe an apprentice or a teacher and student relationship. And this is very important because Jesus is drawing this contrast to the Pharisees here. That's why he talks about real rest here because he's about to address sabbath in chapter 12 he's saying even though they have all these rules for sabbath they have not experienced real rest he's drawing that comparison because if you yoke yourself to the pharisees way that you want to become a student of them you're not going to find it but come to me but in their analogy that is very common for yokes to describe that kind of relationship so you would, if you wanted to study with a teacher in that time it's not like today Even if you want to do a Ph.D. with a particular expert in your field, if you go on to go study with them, you apply to the Ph.D. program, you give them a a sense of who you are, what you want to research, and hopefully that professor likes what you want to study, and then they say, I accept you. But then when you do that, you kind of live around the campus, you live around, so you have access to resources, you are in regular communication with that person, but you don't live with them. You may be really close with them, but you don't spend every single waking day with them. But that's actually what this was like, when you became an apprentice, For a craft or a trade, when you became a a student of a rabbi, you want to become a religious leader, you literally took up life with them. And so when Jesus was saying, he was modeling it, when he was gathering his disciples, he said to them, follow me, which literally, that's why they spent three and a half years around together. They lived with him. And so this is what it meant to be in a teacher-student relationship. They were yoked. So where they went, you went. Where they lived, you lived. What they ate, you ate. It's literally beginning to surrender who you are so that you begin to learn. You're submitting to the teachers everything. Jesus is saying when he says, take on my yoke. He's not saying come to me for a momentary, occasional spiritual experience. He's saying, come and be with me all the time. The reason you're weary is something is yoking you. Come and be with me all the time. Give up your ways because your yoke is leading you to weariness, whether a religious one or an irreligious one. Follow me and you'll find rest. And here's the warning. I want to really speak to those of us who profess to follow and love Jesus because this is the danger. It's it's subtle too because it looks the same for most of us on the outside, but internally it may be very different because there is a version of Christianity that exists in all of our churches, even great churches that love Jesus. There's a version of following Jesus in every one of our church that's subtly there where you can be yoked not to Jesus, but the culture of Christianity that's there. We don't do it like Pharisees. We don't set up all these 600-something rules. But we certainly have a cultural Protestant Christianity that certainly is a yoke. You can be a follower of Jesus. That's why we have this experience. And maybe you've never experienced rest. Or maybe you haven't experienced in so long. And maybe the the question you need to prayerfully consider is, are you yoked to a cultural Christianity or are you yoked to the Christ of Christianity? Because if you're genuinely yoked to Jesus, as he says here, it's not possible to be restless indefinitely. You will learn to find rest. You will be restful as you are with Jesus. And so it doesn't mean you're never going to have problems if you're yoked to Jesus, but it means that there's going to be an undercurrent of rest. And you see this. I've seen this with believers in our church. I was walking alongside this family and a woman who who passed away this past year. Members of our church, they lost their mom. And as I visited with their their mom who passed away, as she became a believer only in the last few years, she was expressing this longing. In fact, in some ways, we, we... Maybe we were feeling selfish, but she was, like, she was ready to see Jesus when she was experiencing these significant health issues, and she was just saying, take me home, genuinely. But in our, in our selfishness, we want her to stay longer, but as near the end, near the very end, the way that she talked about Jesus, you could tell she had rest. And when I saw that, I was like, I want that. I need that. So when you're yoked to Jesus, you will experience rest, even in the midst of facing death. Because far too many of us, though, and this is the subtle thing, exists in all of our churches, some version of this, you can be yoked to the culture of that church rather than Jesus. And that's why it's subtle, because it looks the same on the outside sometimes. Maybe you, you, you put on the yoke of Jesus for an hour and 15 minutes when you come to service, but what you end up doing figuratively is you end up just taking that off and you walk out of this and you put back on that yoke. That's why so many of us, even right now, we're distracted by tomorrow. Even though we're here presently trying to be with Jesus. We need Jesus' yoke. He says, follow me. Be with me. Live with me. Actually, one of the things we realized as we were praying about what to teach on and how we want to lead our church community in 2022, I can't believe it's 2022 already, we're going to start the year in January on a series of abiding in Jesus, kind of unpacking John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. We're going to look at these spiritual practices of what Jesus being yoked to him looks like. And certainly we could look at that as another burden. That's not our intention. We want to be with Jesus. We want to learn to be with him because we want him. We want his rest. But what he says, last thing about his yoke, he says that he's gentle and lowly. You know what that means? Jesus is a gentle, humble leader. That's actually amazing. Actually, This is the only place in the Gospels, maybe the only place in the New Testament where you have an explicit claim that describes Jesus' heart. He doesn't say glorious and amazing. He doesn't say like all-powerful, never-ending, which are all true. He says to us about describing his heart for you and me, gentle and lowly, gentle. He's he's not harsh, he's not reactionary, he's, he's not easily angered. He's the most understanding person ever. You know, his posture towards you today as you're hearing this isn't pointing fingers at you, pointing at all the things you didn't do and that you did do, He's more like the prodigal son's father, urgently waiting and running at you with open arms, ready to hug you. He's lowly, which means he's accessible. Think about all the glory he has. Think about Philippians chapter 2. All the glory he has, and yet he makes himself known to you as a friend. This is incredibly powerful in the context of chapter 11 as they're talking about who knows and who's revealed to God. But it's Jesus. He's lowly. He's accessible. And that's why this yoke analogy is actually kind of a a funny analogy. It's almost like a a misnomer because he's trying to say, my yoke is a non-yoke. Because being with me is like being with a shepherd who loves us. And who wouldn't want this? But so many of us struggle with this, right? I I thought of a silly analogy to think about this. It's like a drowning person. You see someone drowning at Ocean Beach. And you're on a boat and they're out there, and they're drowning and you, you want to go save them so you take a life preserver on a rope and you throw it out to them. And as they it gets near to them, you hear this strange thing saying, hey man, I don't want this. Like, It's already hard enough to survive around here. I don't need this added weight of trying to put this life preserver on me. No, it's not for me. It's, it's hard enough to be out here. And that's exactly sadly what we're like at times. Jesus says to us, as we're yoked to something else, take mine. No, Jesus, I think I got this. If I just do this better, then I'll be happy like I see my friends being happy. If I, if I just stop doing this thing, if I stop eating this much, if I stop doing whatever it is that we need to stop, then I'll be happy. But Jesus says, no, 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 take on being with me. Let me, let me put this all together. How do we get this rest? we actually have to respond to Jesus' invitation. And the way you get this rest, it's actually, you get it clearly in verses 25 to 27, which is why I read it. We often just jump to verse 28 because that's the beautiful part of it. But he actually tells us how to get the rest in this posture we're to have. Look at verse 25 again. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank my Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Revealed them to your little children. We must come, if you want to come to Jesus, as children. Not the wise and educated, not the smart and self-sufficient who scream back at the people trying to say to them, I don't need this life preserver. No, it's the people who know they're desperate like children. That's why later in Matthew's gospel, he says in chapter 18, and truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those of you who've been around kids or have your own kids, you know this. How do you receive this rest? How do we get it? You have to come like a child. Because think about children. First of all, they're helpless, and they know they're helpless, right? When you come to Jesus and you want rest, you have to admit, the thing I'm yoked to, it's not working. I'm dependent. I've tried in my way, God. It doesn't work. When my kids were young, like under two years old, they, they expressed their helplessness regularly. With, like they would come to me and look up at me. Pretty soon, Leah's going to look at me eye to eye, so I'm waiting for that day. But then right now, she's looking up to me, and she's like, up. Like she was like, up. And she would say cute things like that. And now, when Leah's seven, and she says, up, I'm like, no, I'm not going to hold. They're too big now. But when they're young, it's so cute, and they're so dependent. When you come to Jesus, you know you, you, you can't get around. You can't do anything. You just say to your father, Up, I need you. I can't do anything without you. I, I, don't want, I don't just need you to tell me how to tweak my life a little bit. I don't just need you to give me a little jolt on Sunday morning. No, I, I, I need you because I can't do anything, Jesus. It was a desperation because you look at all your life it's you like, this is not working. Jesus, I have nothing without you. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know, they're, they're in poverty. They're spiritually got nothing. That's who's a child. Second, not only do we need to come helpless, independent, that's hard enough. I think the second thing may be even harder. We have to actually receive and accept that God actually loves us as he says he does. All kinds of people, even irreligious people, can admit they're messed up. They're sinners, even though they don't use that word. People are okay admitting that they got problems today. They got messed up lives. But the harder thing maybe today is to accept that Jesus actually genuinely offers to you love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And I experience this regularly as I discipline my children. And often, I'll just confess this, this is something I'm learning still, discipline comes out of my sin for control or doing things a certain way, but there are moments where the Holy Spirit does work through me, I'm thankful, where I actually discipline, hopefully in a righteous, holy Jesus manner. There's are few, but I've noticed this. Even when I do it well, though, if I, after disciplining my children, one of the things I consciously want to do after that discipline, I immediately, right afterwards, I surround them and I want to hold them. And I want to hug them. and I want to tell them, you're okay. We're okay. You're still my daughter. Nothing you can ever do makes this relationship change my love for you. And I want to hold them. And often, regularly, both of them do this. They want to push me away. They're still mad. They, they still want to be right. They accepted that they've done something wrong. They don't want to accept my embrace in love because in their pride they still think they're right and they don't need my love and I realized that after experiencing that a number of times like that is how I treat Jesus I know I'm broken but I don't often want to receive his love I can still do this Jesus I can work my way out of this Jesus Jesus is gentle and lowly he's surrounding you with the embrace of true forgiveness. When he says his burden is light, you know why it's light? If you read Pilgrim's Progress, you've seen that imagery of Christian, right, who's carrying that actual weight, and he drops it, right? That's a powerful image, because the weight of sin especially, the weight of your life, the weight of proving yourself, Jesus dealt with all of that on the cross. That is a crazy claim that is true of Jesus, Everything you've ever done in Jesus is forgiven, done, dealt with, paid. He's saying, I love you. You are mine. Nothing you can do is he's embracing you. Will you receive it or push him away? He can offer rest because he's dealt with all of the weariness of humanity. You ever wonder why God did not save us through just a declaration from the sky? or just some kind of simple 10-step program, like, do these things. Why did God save us through a person? He experienced birth. He experienced brokenness in this body because he was experiencing all of this weariness, every bit of it, on the cross. And Jesus experienced no rest on the cross so that we could experience rest. Something interesting, if you read biographies of martyrs, So many of them, they have this sense about them when they're about to die, this amazing peace, amazing sense of rest because they can look to Jesus. But you know Jesus on the cross, he didn't have that. The Father turned his face away, that's why he said, why have you forsaken me? He experienced all of humanity's weariness. He experienced the ultimate lack of rest so that as he resurrected from the grave, he could offer to you rest from all of humanity's weariness, even the greatest enemy of rest, sin and death. Friends, would you become a child? Admitting you are needy, accepting his love, not pushing away his warm embrace of forgiveness, would you come to him? My prayer is that this word, by the Spirit, we begin to seed in us, in you, genuine rest as you come to him. Then let's do that together for a moment before the band sings. Would we come to Jesus? Even if all of what you can pray is, I don't got anything, Jesus. I just feel this. And remember, he says, come to me all who are heavy laden and burdened. So all you got to him is saying, Jesus, I'm done. That's what you can bring to him. And I pray that the Spirit would meet you in your brokenness and your weariness. Would we take a few moments in prayer for that? Jesus, I confess my weariness, my burden, that the yoke that I get into regularly rather than yours is one of doing and achieving, even in religious ways, Lord, through performing, through preaching, or leading as a pastor. Thank you for taking my burden. Father, I pray for my friends who may feel and know the burden that they're carrying and the yoke that they're in. Father, may you free them with your grace and invitation. Free them from the yoke and burden of appeasing others, approval from others. Grant them freedom from comparison with their peers and friends help them to know and find rest in you as we lay these burdens before you we thank you Lord you are more than enough because you are Lord and creator and all powerful so we in hope and faith lay these burdens before you asking for you to transform us, transform our church to be with you we want to respond Lord in faith to your invitation. And so we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.